Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, you lovely lot, and welcome to this week's edition of Tuesday Night Jaw. Brought to you by the Distraction Pieces Network. And this week, also brought to you by the lovely people at Pod Bible. Um, just want to get it in early, really. I want a big shout out to uh, the guys and girls and everyone over at Pod Bible for, um, for covering the start of this The, the Anatomy Of series. It's 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 been cool. Um, I, I've been speaking to Scroobius Pip about it a lot. And I've been speaking to uh, Lady J, who is one of the editors over there. And just try to sort of outline what I'm intending to do this series. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad that they the share my excitement. It, it was really nice to actually talk to Pip to sort of strip this back and, and, and sort of do a behind the scenes sort of breakdown, I guess, a little chat about it. It, it was really nice to sort of have him get what I was attempting to do, but also sort of motivate and help push me to do it and that's really cool and that's what what the distraction pieces network is all about you know we we all do very very different things you know i mean it, there is a, a genuinely wide variety on the network in terms of what the actual subjects of of the podcast are but it's really cool that there's like a collective energy and intent from everyone on, on the 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 whole network and it's cool man like you know and, and again especially during times like this i know pips mentioned on his podcast personally you know, that he doesn't really know what people want at the minute and he doesn't really know what he wants to do at the minute. So it is a bit sporadic and is a little bit erratic sometimes. So it's kind of nice to have some support, especially with something that I've been thinking about for so long and didn't know I could execute it properly. And for the first episode to go out and, and, and it be well received, that's really exciting. I mentioned sort of online about it, but that first episode is episode one, technically, of the miniseries slash series that this is. But I think it's more of a pilot because of what I kind of knew the next episode is going to be, especially this episode. So the subject of this episode is a little bit more in depth. There's a little bit more texture to it. And it's a little bit different from the, the episode last week, which is kind of the intention with every one of these episodes. So it's going to be five in the miniseries. This is technically episode two. So you're going to have three more after this and although the move in question and the name of the title is is sort of the jump off point uh each episode is going to have its own identity in terms of it's not just going to be about the the literal move or the mechanics of the move 
or the aesthetics of the move, as you'll see in this episode, it's kind of the starting point to a wider story that, that I'm looking to tell. So yeah, hopefully it's going to come across well. But the other thing as well was I wanted to get that episode out just so I could sort of lay it out, see the structure of it, uh, you know, have a feel for it before I did the things that I wanted to do, which was I've bought a new microphone. Yay! Um, hopefully you can tell. I can tell because I'm listening to my own voice in my ears through my microphone. Isn't that exciting? Um, so hopefully the, the production quality is going to be a little bit better. There was a little bit more production in terms of what I usually do on the, the podcast anyway. On the first episode with a little music interludes and stuff like that, which is still going to stay uh, in, in, in this episode and going forward. Uh, there's also going to be a ad break in the middle of this that isn't a Acast ad. Um, it's just a ad for myself, I guess, or the podcast itself. It's an independent thing. Um, so make sure you sort of listen to that. It's literally going to be like 10 seconds uh, and you'll like it because you get a discount code. Ooh, discount code. Um, so yeah, so the production hopefully is going to get a little bit better each time. And when I edit this podcast, I'm going to have to sort of get used to um, adjusting certain things like trying to uh, isolate the vocals and then obviously mix the music well and blah, 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 blah. So hopefully it's still a good quality podcast, but there will be more improvements going forward. So yeah, that's the rambly bit at the beginning, um, just sort of to outlay everything that's coming up in this episode and everything that'll be coming up in future episodes as well. I'm really excited. This is kind of, <laughs> this is kind of how this series is working at the minute is that I am either recording or just about to record the, the, the next episode and then I'm getting excited about the episode after that. So I've already come up with the title for the, the episode three and I'm like, oh yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so that's how my brain works. Isn't that exciting and interesting? So rambly intro over. Nice one. Thank you very much as always to Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you very much for Pod Bible for the coverage. Uh, and thank you, the listener, uh, for continuing to support this podcast by listening to it for free. That's all I ask from you. Thank you very much for that. Anyway, you know the score by now. Grab a cup of tea, get comfortable, sit back and relax, and welcome to this week's edition of Tuesday Night Chore. Welcome to The Anatomy of the Lariat. First things first, what's the difference between a clothesline and a lariat? Although slight, it's the intention behind the moves that separates them. A clothesline is when a wrestler extends their arm to the side and catches their opponent as they pass. A lariat, however, is when a wrestler swings their outstretched arm towards an opponent's neck and upper chest. The most mainstream slash WWE example of a lariat is actually the confusingly named clothesline from hell performed by JBL. A move that JBL has gone on record to say that he uses as a tribute to the main subject matter of this podcast. Today we're not here to talk about the mechanics of the move, although later we will look at its evolution over the years. Instead, we're here to talk about the man behind the move. Someone so closely associated with it, his nickname is simply the Lariat. That man is Stan 
Hansu. Our journey begins in Texas, or more accurately, West Texas State, a somewhat mythical place given the generations of wrestlers that pass through its gates. From the Funks, to Bruiser Brody, to Tully Blanchard, to Dusty Rhodes, to Ted DiBiase, the college has a rich history of producing athletes that would go on to find success in the world of wrestling. During Hansen's time there, his focus was on another full-contact sport, that of American football. Said to be a good, if not great, linebacker, the future Triple Crown champion would come close to turning pro. After a training camp with the San Diego Chargers, Hansen came to terms with the reality that he might never make the cut. Returning home and putting the gridiron behind him, Hansen moved into the world of teaching. Upon receiving his first paycheck, it became clear that this career would not offer the finances he seek to support his family. For the first time, but not the last time in this tale, enter Terry Funk. Funk, knowing Hansen through college football, would offer the former linebacker an opportunity to learn professional wrestling. Starting in the Amarillo Territory, Hansen would learn his craft from the old pros in the NWA. As he started to branch out, he'd form a brief team with fellow West Texas State alumni and future wrestling legend, Bruiser Brody. As Hansen continued to branch out, it'd be a relatively short but significant stop in New York that would determine the next step in his career. Although not brought in to be a main star, Hansen would have the opportunity to work with the territory's top babyface, Bruno San Martino. San Martino was a hero on the East Coast, an Italian-American immigrant who fought his way up from the bottom to superstardom, crushing his opponents on his way to capturing the WWWF World Heavyweight Championship. Hansen, an uncivilized cowboy from the South, would make for a natural opponent. In one of their matchups, Hansen would accidentally fracture the neck of San Martino, much to the disappointment of the audience and the frustration of the top heels in the territory who had just seen their cash cow get sidelined. The comeback match was signed for June 25th, 1976 at the Shea Stadium. Although not the top match on the bill, the card line headlined by the infamous Ali vs. Anoki fight, the match did win match of the year for 1976 in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. The neck break gave notoriety to Hansen and his moveset, something that caught the attention of the June 25th headliner and owner of New Japan Wrestling, Antonio Anoki. Anoki brought Hansen and the Lariat to Japan as a lethal outside threat with a deadly gunslinger arm, a trend that would continue to define Hansen's career throughout his time in Japan. But it would be a Westerner who would help establish the cowboy in the overseas territory. That man, or maybe more accurately, that giant would be the eighth wonder of the world, Andre. In his matches with the monstrous Frenchman, Andre would recoil and wince in pain as Hansen looked like a credible threat straight out of the gates. Hansen has gone on record to say that if Andre hadn't sold in the way he did in those matchups, Hansen would never become the star in Japan that he later would. For an audience to see this unslayable monster in peril thanks to the offense of this lawless cowboy must have been 
an extremely powerful image. But Andre wasn't the only influence on Hansen while in Japan. Seeing the likes of Tiger Jeet Singh and Abdullah the Butcher inspired the big Texan to emulate their wild, brawling style. But what was Hansen's own was his work rate, a high-pressure front foot style with a relentless pace that had its roots in the Amarillo style of the Funks. As Hansen's star grew, his interest in the US took a back seat. It was the words, though, of his old foe in New York that would influence another step in his career. Despite being the champion of the WWWF and the working agreement between Vincenia and Anoki, San Martino would only work for Giant Barber and All Japan during his overseas tours. With that in mind and the news that New Japan were looking to bring Abdullah back to the territory, Hansen started to question his place in the company. Seeing an opportunity, it would be old friend Terry Funk who would float the idea of moving to All Japan. A meeting was set and an agreement was reached with Giant Baba, Hansen later claiming that he worked for him on a handshake deal for 25 years. Although this deal proved lucrative, it was not without risk, both inside and outside the ring. It would signal the end of agreements back home, but would also bring up a stylistic clash between Hansen's and what All Japan was at the time. In Hansen's own words, AJPW had a style more reminiscent of the NWA, placing more emphasis on the technical side of the sport. But Baba assured the cowboy he wanted his rough and ready take on wrestling. And with that, Hansen and a handful of Westerners, mixed with a super generation of homegrown stars, would start to pave the way of the King's Road. Two Triple Crown title matches in 1991 and 92 with Jumbo Saruta would bridge the gap between the old and new generations. In their first contest, Jumbo would defeat Hansen with a variation of a clothesline. Jumbo showing his influence from his time spent with the Funks in Amarillo added a layer to All Japan's evolution. After beating Jumbo, the cowboy would turn his attention to the future, becoming a constant roadblock in the careers of Masawa, Kobashi, Kawada and Tawe. All would cross paths with Hansen and a selection of partners including the likes of Terry Gordy, Steve Williams and later on in the 90s, Vader. Hansen would occasionally team with the home roster, although I always thought he shone brighter against them. And for me, no matchup burnt as brightly than him going head-to-head with Kenta Kabashi. There was a ferocity between the two, maybe Kabashi the most passionate and fiery of his generation, living up to the flame-coloured orange trunks and the burning nickname. These two would have iconic clashes throughout the years, and these matches would be littered with strikes, thrown with bad intentions. The reaction from the audience every time that Western lariat was thrown really signified that this move, this man was now embedded in Japanese wrestling culture. And ultimately, it's the clash of cultures in this story that I find so intriguing. Here is this style of wrestling from the other side of the world, blending so perfectly with the philosophy of Bushida. It's the gunslinger and the samurai starring in a living, breathing western. The Clint Eastwood of our story, locked and loaded with his Smith and Western of a left arm, 
might not have had the success in his native country compared to his contemporaries, but it's hard to dispute his impact on wrestling on a whole. A significant number of heavyweights now possess a lariat in their arsenal in the current wrestling landscape. Hansen's influence can still be felt from the US to Europe to Japan. And after a quick break, we will look at the evolution of the lariat. So I hope you are enjoying the episode so far. Uh, And for listening to the episode this week, we've got a little offer for you guys i've teamed up with our friends over at grappleclothing.co.uk to get you 10 percent off anything in their store they've had the awesome be kind long sleeve t-shirt that's come out this week but they have so much more on the site for you guys to check out and if you use the code tnj you'll get yourself 10 percent off your next order make sure you go over to grappleclothing.co.uk In this part of the episode, we are going to look at the variations and evolution of the move in current day wrestling. And there's no better place to start than the passing of the torch to Kenta Kabashi and his burning lariat. Picked up in his wars with Hansen, Kabashi fires his lariat from close range. Sometimes clasping the back of his opponent's head, he fires his arm into his opponent's neck, sending sweat and their will to continue into the ether. But one of my favourite variations belongs to a fellow Brit and a favourite of this podcast, Nigel McGuinness. Staggering under the impact of offence, Nigel would grab the second rope, lean back and rebound with his jawbreaker lariat. Much like Hansen, this move has spawned tributes, mainly that of NXT's Kyle O'Reilly and AEW's John Moxley. As we look through these variations of this move, it's intriguing to find an example that is true to the original, but the thought process behind it has changed. In most combat sports, strikes are used to determine distance and also chop down opponents. Wrestling is no different, and with David Starr's hand stanson, we have a perfect example. Employed not only to put away his opponents, Starr uses his lariat to chop away at sizable threats like longtime rival Volta. Maybe the most obvious nod to the original in name, the hand stanson is named as such as Star uses his right arm rather than the favoured left of Hansen. And with our last variation, we return not only to Japan, but New Japan Wrestling with Kazuchika Okada's Rainmaker. One of the most iconic current variations, the Rainmaker mixes two schools of wrestling, the Greco-Roman wrist control and the brutality of brawling. Maybe this combination, this clash of backgrounds, is the ultimate tribute to the original. With Okada's position as ace of the company, armed with his trusty lariat, the move continues on into the next generation of professional wrestling. And we have reached the end of the podcast i really hope you guys enjoyed this episode um, and also enjoyed that little journey at the end through some of the evolutions and variations of the move if i missed out one of your favorite versions of the lariat why not give me a tweet and let me know what you love to see when someone is swinging that arm at someone else's head in the world of professional wrestling and you can find me on twitter and, at, and actually on instagram as well at m richards host I'm just going to finish off this week with giving the usual credits. The artwork for the Anatomy Of series is done by Shoto Design. 
The original photography for the design is by Beyond Gorilla. The music interludes that you hear throughout the episode are done by Danny Hall. And the inspiration this week behind the episodes is a combination of Jack Slack, Dan Carlin, and Distraction Pieces Network's very own Scroobius Pip. I'll be back next time with episode 3 in the Anatomy Of series. It's going to be entitled The Anatomy Of A Body Slam. But hopefully you'll be back to check that episode out. In the meantime, stay safe, look after each other. I'll see you next week on TNJ. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.